After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. <clears throat> Thank you. What a powerful passage. I'm so happy to get to open God's word with you. Um, I think I know everybody here. Uh, man, it's good to see you, TK. Welcome back <laughs> to the city. <laughs> yeah, um, guys, it's, it's so sweet to be just worshiping in the park together again. Uh, just looking around, just the green is just popping. Everybody just take a moment and just worship the Lord in your hearts for all that he's made. It's so good. So I'm going to just jump right in. Um, it's, it's super easy for us, super easy for us to uh, kind of think that God is, is happy or, or sad. Just, just base his, his opinion of us off of how we're doing, how well we're holding it together. Isn't that right? So easy to do that. And there's been seasons in my life where that's been more true than other times. And it's, you know, it's like for weeks sometimes I, I've had like a blanket of, of shame just kind of hanging on my head because I can't I can't get over whether this feeling, whether the reality that I've blown it or just a feeling of I'm not enough. I haven't done enough for God. And that's, that's a horrible feeling. And I think a lot of Christians feel that. I think a lot of us feel that, like there's, there's just this kind of weight, whether we have blown it or not, like I've just, I'm not enough for God. I think people, up, people that are not Christians feel that, you know, and they have a reason to. Uh, but this week's text, it really, it caught me by surprise and it, and it kind of, it reminded me that the way that the Lord is, is kind of measuring me it's not always the way that, that we think he measures us. The, the thing that's first and foremost, the thing that causes God to say I'm pleased with us or not, is not the way that we often, it's not the same measure that we have. Um, yeah, there's, there's something in particular that this text shows us about God's interest in how we respond to the world. In, in, our, in our trials, in our in our suffering, in our, in our plenty, in our want. God is after something in particular. He's after something in particular, something that makes, makes our God marvel more than, more than most other things. There's something about 
us that moves God. What do you guys believe that is? What do you believe that is? What is it that's most important about you to God? How, how he measures you? Maybe repentance? Yeah, that's that's good. Well, I'll try to answer it as we, as we go through. Uh, and here we're getting into Luke chapter 7. We've been in the Sermon on the Plain, which praise the Lord for that sermon. How good was that? I just, I love that. I love that all those, man, those sayings of Jesus are amazing. But we, we're kind of moving back into the action where Jesus is again moving towards the poor. He's again moving towards the very people that he said that he was sent to, the, the poor, the oppressed, the captive. He prophesied in Luke chapter 4 that he, the Spirit was upon him for this people. And, and here Luke kind of paints this, this picture for us. He brings us to Capernaum. Capernaum was a bustling business town in Galilee, not very far from Jesus' hometown. I looked on, on Google Maps. It's like a 45-minute drive. I'm sure that would <laughs> be a long walk for them, but not that far away. So he's in Capernaum, a real place. This is real historical events, real places in the world. And Jesus, uh, he, he's there ministering. And, and, and then we hear Luke introduces us to this centurion. And a centurion, you know, he, he's, he's actually a high-ranking soldier. And... He would have had, this, this centurion would have had control or, or authority over about a hundred uh, soldiers. He would have overseen the, the region to keep order and he was, he was a part of Herod Antipas' army. He's a man of great authority and the text also tells us that he's, he's somewhat a man of, a, of compassion. From what we understand of him, he has this servant who is deathly ill and what the text tells us that that this servant is highly valued by the centurion man. So there's something, something unique. He's, he's a man with a lot of control, a man with a lot of servants and people under his authority, and yet he has this care for this servant. And the servant is about to die. He's so sick. Some of us have, have experienced this sort of thing with family, friends. Maybe some of you are in that right now. Just unless the Lord intervenes, your friend's not going to make it. Your, your, your family is not going to make it. And that is, that is devastating. And those are the sort of moments that lead you to kind of do whatever it takes. Like people drive all around the world. They move, you know, they move their families to try to take care of that, that loved person. And, and it seems like the centurion is, is moved to try to figure out a way to care for his, his servant. And this, uh, this centurion... Um, and he, he even goes outside of his own kind of religious background to figure out a way to get his servant help. I just want to say quickly, I, I know this, this is known truth, but I want to remind you that this, this world was not originally created with death in it. This world was, was called good. When God created, there was no death. It was only paradise sort of land. Man and woman were dwelling with God, the source of life, until sin, until Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and, and then death entered the world. They were separated from Him, which resulted in death. And that is, from that point until now, people have been trying to find solutions. That's the why of all the world's religions. 
people trying to understand wow like we're in the park right <laughs> this is great fireworks let's go um yeah but people have been trying to figure out how do we fix the world's problems this this is the thing that people are looking for they're looking for someone something to hope in to overcome this problem look at verse three if you've got your bibles i'd love for you to follow along with me if possible when the centurion heard about jesus he sent to him elders of the jews asking him to come and heal his servant i love those words he heard about jesus he heard about jesus I love that because I just think about when I heard about Jesus, when, when my problems were, were presented, when my problems were, were met with the person of Jesus. Oh, how sweet that was for me. And man, I, my prayer right now is that everybody in this part and all the people in this city would be able to have a story written about them when they heard about Jesus. They turned to him. Amen. That is our prayer. And so this man, he heard about Jesus and he, 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 he basically, does, he's like, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to move to action to make sure that my servant can get healed. And apparently he had a relationship with the Jews. This is not a Jewish man. And this is actually quite an interesting relationship that this centurion has a relationship with the Jews. This is, this is the oppressor. He's representing the evil side. You know, they're enemies. But instead, this man, he's not just a man of authority, but, but now, he's, now he's being seen as, now he's being seen as, as a man of compassion. One who, one who actually personally funded the building of their synagogue. I just want to pray real quick, guys. This is super distracting. Father, thank you for fireworks. And now, Lord, we ask that we could have a non-distracted moment. God, would you help us all to listen to your word? Would you help us all to hear your word right now? Make your kingdom come, Jesus. You may we pray. Amen. Even if it still goes, we'll we'll still hear. Amen. Um from human standards, this guy was a good man. From human standards, he was he was very he was very unique. And we hear that in the way that the Jews describe him. Let's look at verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And we need to focus in on these words because they let us in on how the Jews thought. Let's just read those words one more time together, y'all. He is worthy to have you do this for him. Why? For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Do you all see that? So the Jewish leaders have this idea of what worthiness is. You know, they, they, they're looking at this man and they're basically saying, you got to understand, he's a really good man. He deserves your attention. He really does. And here, here's what's really interesting is that I need you to understand kind of the way that they think because the, the centurion's response is just so starkly different than these Jews. And the way that he responds, there's actually, 
sort of a wordplay here. There, this word worthy is going to be mentioned two other times in our text. And so we're just seeing a, a sharp contrast. And what is it that, that the text is trying to show us? It's trying to show us that there's, there's a difference between the way a religious person thinks and the way a person of, of faith thinks. Let me explain that a little bit. So religious people, they have this idea that if you do X, Y, and Z, like God, he owes you, right? Like if you do these good things, then you should expect that he's going to respond with some sort of blessing or favor. And this is exactly how the Jews thought. They believed that if they were good enough, if they kept the people in check enough, there would come a time where God would show up and he would destroy their enemies. And all of a sudden, Israel would be ruling and reigning and everything would be good. But there's a big problem with that thinking. There's a big problem with that thinking. And I'll unpack that a little bit. But before I do, I just want to remind you that in Matthew... <laughs> this is epic. <laughs> in, Matthew chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually brings a judgment. Oh. Do you mind? That would be, that would be awesome. Sorry, guys. Is anyone else distracted? A little bit. <laughs> so Matthew 11, Jesus actually pronounces judgment against these people. And he says these startling words. He says, if the, if the works that have been done in you had been done in Sodom, Sodom would still remain to this day. This is a... This is, this is heavy. Because ultimately the people of Capernaum, these men who are standing there before Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, he's worthy. He's worthy of your attention. They're ultimately going to reject Jesus. So there's something, there's something really wrong with the way that they think about God's relationship to humanity. And, and, and here's, here's the problem. There's, there's a major problem with humanity's understanding of God. If we think that he'll accept us or save us based on our works before him and i know this this is something probably you've heard a lot of times but here's the deal guys we fall back into this over and over and over again and we have to be reminded that god is not looking at you in that sort of way we have to be reminded and uh you know told the gospel again and again and again so that it gets into us when we when we read our Bible or we share the gospel or we overcome temptation, so often we're like, blessing's going to come. It's right around the corner for us. And I know we, most people here wouldn't say those words, but sometimes we think that. Sometimes we think it. And, and I, here's the reality. If you start to suffer and all of a sudden you start shaking your fist at God saying like, why? Why are you doing this to me? then you understand, like, he really does. He really does. You, I mean, you really do think you owe, that he owes you something. Welcome, friends. Thanks for joining. It is very common for us to believe that if we're good enough, that God's going to bless us. That is very common thinking. And yet it's so, so off. Friends, it's so ugly. 
And here's why. It ignores the pervasive reality of sin. It ignores the offensiveness of our sin to God. Ultimately, ultimately, it rejects our need for a Savior. When we, when we think that our works kind of are, are getting us, earning us the blessing of God, we are subtly saying, Jesus, I don't need you at all. That's what we're saying. And it's ugly. It, it's the very thing that caused the Jews to reject Jesus, the Messiah. But friends, if Jesus is king, if he is the one hope of the world right now, if he is our hope right now, he's not somebody to say, you owe me, <laughs> you owe me. No, he's the one to bow before and say, have mercy on me. <laughs> have mercy on me. I want your salvation. Nonetheless, we're told in verse 6 that, that Jesus goes with these Jews to the centurion. And I just love that. I love that after they, you know, the Jews lay down this, this horrible theology, you know, like, hey, you owe this, this guy really deserves your blessing. He still goes with them. And why do you think he goes with them? Why do you think he heals anybody if what I said is true? What, if, if it's not true that God is, is meeting our good works with blessing, if that's not how that works, then why, what is it? Why does God bless us? Why does God heal us? The Bible teaches us that God comes to us surely out of his love for us. It's a crazy amount of grace. It's this thing called grace, which means you don't deserve it at all. It means that if we're stuck in our sin and we have no reason for God ultimately to bless us because of our sin, if he comes near us, it's not because we reach high enough with good works, but it's because he is so loving and merciful that he reaches really, really low to say, I touch you, I heal you, I'm coming to you. Isn't that good news? Yes. It's good news because you and me, we don't want a God who says, you do this much and I'll meet you, I'll bless you. No, we want a God who, even when we're failing, even when we're falling, he'll be faithful all the way to the end. He'll keep coming to us, amen? Like that's the God that we need. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we get to preach here. And it's the difference between every other religion in this world and Christianity. Let's look at verse 6, and we're going to see what God is truly after. If that's not what he's after, like a, a good works righteousness, what is he after? So when Jesus was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble, trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume, that word could also be translated worthy, or I did not see myself worthy to come to you. Friends, notice the difference there between the Jews' response to Jesus and the centurion's response. The Jews say, he is a worthy man. He is worthy of your attention. And this guy's like, Lord, I am not even worthy for you to come into my house. I'm not worthy to even come to you, so I sent people. This is a very 
highly authoritative man. He's a respected man. And he, of all people, is saying, you should not have, want to have anything to do with me, Jesus. I get who you are and who I am. I'm a sinful man. Reminds me of Jesus, uh, of Jesus and Peter. When, when Jesus works that miracle, Peter's like, depart from me, I'm a sinner. There's something that, that the centurion is aware of that doesn't allow him even to come into Jesus' presence. But, but he says, Lord, he respects him. He still comes to him. But he's like got this reverence about him. It's not a, Jesus, you owe me, but it's like, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Notice, do you see the difference there in how he approaches Jesus? What is God looking for? He's looking for a heart that recognizes that we have serious need for a Savior and a heart that comes to him saying, I know who you are and you're, you're higher than me. I don't, I don't deserve to be in your presence. You're higher than me. That's the heart God is looking for. Not someone that says, hey, check out my works. I got good things to show you. I deserve your blessing. Let's, let's continue with, with the centurion's words. Verse 7. But say the word and let my servant be healed. Check this out, guys. This is the centurion's words. This makes Jesus marvel. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. The the faith of this man that says, Jesus, do you see? I believe that you just have to say the word. You don't even have to come close to me. I think you're a different breed. (laughs) I think you're a different kind of man. All you have to do is speak a word and it'll be done. Let me explain what I mean. He says, I just have to say, hey, you go do this. And guess what happens? Somebody does it. I say, you get over here and who moves there? They do because he has authority. And what does he say? He says, Jesus, you have authority greater than me. It's not humanly authority. It's authority that has power to actually command heaven and earth to move. And it moves. The authority that's able to say, hey, that sickness that's in that guy, far away from where I am, it's going to be gone, and it just goes, just like that. Can you believe that? Friends, that's not how I pray for sick people. I'm sitting there thinking, oh God, don't let me be a fool when this doesn't happen. That's my, that's my sort of faith. I'm sorry to say. I'm going to invite you to come and get prayer to me. I hope that word doesn't hinder, <laughs> hinder you from, from coming and praying with me. Guys, this is not the sort of faith that I have so often that would just say, all you have to do is say a word, Lord, and it's done. Jesus has that sort of authority, and this centurion is shocking everybody in how he's, he's talking about Jesus. There's something amazing about this, this response here. He, he is not only talking about healing, but he is... He is talking about some crazy amount of authority that is far surpassing the centuri- uh, his, his authority, that far surpasses Caesar's authority. 
the far, that far surpasses Herod's authority. He's not going to any of these human leaders, guys. He is coming to somebody that he believes has a much greater authority, a power and authority over all things. He's submitting himself to this man. He's submitting himself to Jesus, who is God in human flesh. The, the centurion recognized something about who Jesus was that the Jews did not recognize. The centurion recognized something about this Jesus that would allow him to say, all you have to do is say a word and it'll be done for us. Let's look at Jesus' response. Look at verse 9 with me. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said... I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Whew. That is a hard word. Jesus heard these words from the centurion, reported to him from his friends, and we're told that he marveled. He's so amazed, friends. There's only two times in Scripture where we're, we're told that Jesus responds that way. That he stands with a big wow on his face, marveling. And those two times are right here, and then once in Mark, at the unbelief of the people of Nazareth. So there's something, there's something that makes Jesus marvel. Say the word, what is it? What, what makes Jesus marvel? Faith. There's one thing that is important. <laughs> One of, one of the most important things about you and how you respond to Jesus in this world and all the things that come at you is that little word. Say it. Faith. Faith. This is the thing that moves our Lord. This moved the Lord to wow. He was amazed. I think that there's something else here that, that, that causes him to marvel and, and that is unbelief. He's looking at the man's faith in the face of the Israelites who lack belief. He says, not only, I mean, not even in Israel have I seen such faith. He could say, not even, not even amongst my people who have heard my testimonies, who have seen my healings, who have seen prophecies come to, to pass. If he was here, might he say to some of us, not even in the church have I found such faith. That's a painful word, y'all, and it's, it's even more painful, I'm sure, for Jesus to have to utter those words. My own people, they don't see me. And yet this centurion, this Gentile, a pork-eating, unclean soldier, is the one who is saying, you have authority, you're Lord. And all you have to do is say a word. This is what causes Jesus to marvel. Faith or lack of faith. These are the things that cause Jesus to marvel. Verse 10, let's look there and finish out our story. And I, I just love these words. Verse 10 says, When those who had been sent returned to the house, what they do? They found the servant well. He was healed. Jesus didn't even go to them and he was healed. 
We don't even know how it happened. He just said, wow, that's awesome faith. Next thing you know, he's healed. The servant's healed. Jesus is that powerful. And the man had him right. The centurion had him right. He said, all you have to do is say a word. And it was done. His faith was rewarded. I just want to ask that question again. What is most important to God about you today? Yeah, what? We, we so easily get distracted by so many other things in this world, but there's one thing that, that moves God's heart in the way that we respond to Him, friends, and that is just a simple faith that says, Jesus, I see who you are. I see that you're able. I see that you can. I put my faith in you. You're able. This is what pleases God. It's the, it's, the, it's the belief that says, Jesus, if you say do it, it'll be done. Jesus, if you say forgiven, I know I'm forgiven. Why can't I believe that? Why can't I believe when he says it, it's done? Seriously, guys, we lack faith. I lack faith horribly. When I'm sitting here navel-gazing, when I'm staring at myself, when I'm trying to, trying to see, like, Lord, did I do enough for you? I've got shame hanging over my head. It's a lack of faith. It's not putting faith in the one who said, forgiven. Enough. I've done it. It's finished. This is so important to God that, that we're told in in scripture that it is impossible without faith to please God. You guys know that scripture? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I just want to ask that question. Why, why is it so important that we have faith? Why does God care so much about our faith? Why do you guys think he does? I think it's because when we put faith in Jesus, it's, it's, it's turning the attention away from ourselves back to God. Basically, it's putting God back on His throne in our hearts. It's putting God back on His throne in our hearts when we say, I will never be enough, but you will always be enough. That's why it matters so much to God. This is right back to the very core of the problem with humanity. When Adam and Eve were deceived, that they could be sufficient in and of themselves without God. That they could have that they could have all that they want apart from God. It was a trick from Satan, and that is a continual trick that is sown into our hearts and minds every single day that we're told that we don't need him, that we can do without him. That somehow we can accomplish enough that we'll, we'll gain the blessing, we'll, we'll have what God, we'll, we'll be able to gain His favor. But God calls us to simply turn our eyes to Him today, friends. Turn our eyes to Him like the centurion man. I just want to simply ask, who, who do you resemble most in this story? When we read stories like this, it is so, so easy to be like, oh, I'm totally the centurion, I believe in Jesus, you know, I'm good. I believe in Jesus today, right? But friends, not so fast. <laughs> like, we are all 
so prone to be just like the Jewish leaders in how we respond to the trials of life, to all, all things life. <laughs> when we, the way that we respond often gives, gives it away that we're more like the Jewish leaders who put their faith in themselves, more like a religious person who puts faith in your own good works than that centurion who said, I am unworthy, but just say the word Jesus. Yes, guys, good works. Got to say this. This is so important. Good works are essential. They will, they must come from our life of faith. But Sam said it last week, and we, I just want it ringing in your ears. We're never working for approval. We're always working from approval. That's the gospel. Never for approval, y'all, but from approval. I don't know what's with y'all today. I really don't. Just <laughs> It's coming out. I haven't even talked to my mom for a while. <laughs> um, and I need you to remember, friends, this, this faith thing is not just a once and done sort of thing. It's not just about salvation, but it's about all of life. How we respond to Jesus. Guys, when you're going through extreme suffering, when trials come and you respond with faith and you say, Jesus, I believe you're able right now, it makes our Lord Jesus marvel. <laughs> He's so moved by you. When you are suffering loneliness, when you are facing temptations, you feel like you can't shake, but you say, Jesus, you're enough, help me. Oh, it moves God's heart. <laughs> it moves his heart. He marvels at your faith. He loves it. When you give up comforts for the mission of God, when you make yourself look like a fool in the world trying to preach the good news, oh, it moves his heart. He loves that faith. On the other hand, it's possible that he marvels at you for a different reason. It's possible that we sit under the word. We hear and we hear and we hear and we hear. And yet, we never have zeal for Jesus. We're never excited to seek His face, to worship Him. We're never excited to help Him be known. Oh, I pray that He would marvel at us for our faith and not for our unbelief. Oh, I pray that that's true. Friends, we are in a time like uh, maybe none of us have experienced and, and we may not for the rest of our lives. But I, I know that there will be more trials to come in this year. There's no doubt and definitely more trials to come in our lifetime. And I want us to be learning from this centurion, just, just asking God, Lord, help me to have faith like this man. In every trial that we face this year as a church, how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond to these many floods with faith clinging to Jesus? Or are we going to cling to something else? Are we going to cling to our own ability to stand firm? Are we going to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ? And friends, he is worthy of our trust. Let me just finish with this. He is worthy of your trust today. Friends, when Jesus went to the cross, hear this, when Jesus went to the cross, he was there taking on your punishment. The very punishment that you deserved for your sin, that me, me and you deserved. And he was... He was going to rise too. And when he rose, 
He was giving us, everyone who believes on his name, hope for not only eternal life, but also for a new life right here in this world where we can have faith, where we can hunger after him and want him. Jesus, Jesus is enough for us. And he, he proved that he's enough for us at the cross. And he proved if God gave his only son, will he give up, will he not, will he fail to give you anything, church? He will not fail. He'll give you everything you need. Amen? So we don't want to be found on judgment day, friends, having heard and seen this truth and still clinging to things other than the Lord Jesus. I just, in these next few minutes together, if you're not trusting Christ, I just invite you to say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Please save me. And if you love Jesus, I know so many of you do. I just want you to say this simple prayer as we, as we go to worship. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In whatever trial, whatever it is that you're struggling to have faith in, whatever sin you're struggling to overcome, I want you to pray that prayer over it. Lord Jesus, help me. I want to make you marvel with my faith. And as we sing, guys, if you want prayer for healing, I would love for you to come. Me and, me and my wife would love to lay hands on you and just pray for you and ask God to heal your bodies. Let's pray together and we'll, we'll worship. Jesus, you gave us everything we needed. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we ask that you would just cause that reality to settle down in our hearts as we sing. That we would worship you for all that you are. And that we would no longer look to ourselves or to any other human savior, but that we would be overcome by who you are, the authority you have, and that we would bow to you in submission. God, let us be a people that causes you to marvel at us because of our faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.